Good morning. Do you know what's next? Let's all stand. Give you guys a little stretch. If you would like for the Lord to encounter you with his word this morning, would you raise your hand? All right, let's just pray. Father, we want you. We've come here not to play church, but we've come here to meet you. By your spirit, Lord, would you encounter us now in this moment, in these few minutes that we have remaining together? Would you encounter us by your spirit? Would you lodge inside of us eternal thoughts, your words, that would remain in us and produce good fruit for you and for your kingdom? We ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So I have a plan this morning. This is going to start out a little bit awkward, but it's okay. We'll get past it. My plan this morning is to call out every person in this building and to give you a word about your destiny in the kingdom and your calling. Every person on live stream and in this building. So I've had, I've been around charismatic circles for quite a while. Not as long as Randy Horton, but I've been around for a little while. And um, when I came to Southeastern in 1978, back when they just invented fire in the wheel for you millennials, um, I started getting around the culture. I was in the Assembly of God Church, but I started getting around a culture where they prophesied over people and gave you words. And so I actually have collected those over the years, and so after 40-something years, 42 years, I guess, I got a pretty good stack of words. Most of the ones that I kept were from legitimate ministries and ministers um, that actually had some kind of a proven track record with God using them in that way. And I was just reading over. Occasionally, I'll just pull them out and read over them, and it's, it's really interesting. So last night, I was reading over some of those, and some of the ones that I got when I was in my 20s, one of them said that, you're going to be caught up to the third heaven and receive special teaching from Jesus in the throne room. That one hasn't happened yet. Um, but I'll still hold the ticket for that, Lord, if you want that. Another one is a guy who was a legitimate prophetic ministry himself. And he called me out and he said, you're called to be a prophet, but not a minor prophet, a major prophet. And yada, 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 and fill in the dots. And so the only problem with that is that I don't have the grace to be a prophet. And function is determined by the grace on your life, so I'm not a prophet. So that wasn't uh, quite right. But I find it interesting how in our circles we tend to like, I personally have never heard of somebody who got called out and said, you have the gift of the ministry of helps. No, it's always apostle or prophet or you're going to be this flaming evangelist. And why is that? That's just interesting to me that that is the case. And so, please hear my heart. I'm not, I love being a charismatic. I love the moving of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts. I also happen to love the Word of God a lot. And so, those two have to go together. So I'm not in any way trying to disparage words of knowledge or prophecy or anything like that. But what I do want to do this morning is 
I want to talk about our destiny and our calling that we know for sure everyone in this room comes under the category because Almighty God, by His Spirit, spoke it and put it in this book. And that's a lot more accurate and reliable than a word from a prophet. Not disparaging that. I've received some wonderful words that have encouraged me, and I was reading through those last night. Again, I got a stack of them like this. I keep them. Some of it's really encouraging. I will tell you the truth. Some of the most encouraging prophetic words I've ever gotten were not about how awesome I am, but about how much God cares for the intricate details of my life. And some of those words I've gotten from people in this room that you wouldn't know and you would never in a thousand years think that they were prophetic or a prophet. Some of the most accurate prophetic words that I've ever received were by text. I've read those texts and just sat there in, in awe and go, Lord, you're amazing. This person would never put themselves forward. Nobody even knows who they are, and yet they felt moved by you, and you encouraged me so deeply through that. That's, that's how the body works. You know, Brandon preached on Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 that said that I urge you by the mercies of God that you present your body as a what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And the next verse of Romans 12, 2 says what? To be renewed, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then the third verse says, I urge you again by the mercies of God and by the calling that I have as an apostle, the grace that I have, Paul says in verse 3 of Romans 12, I urge every single one of you. What does he urge us? Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. But think with sober and sane judgment according to the faith that you have, which corresponds to the gift of grace that you have, your place in the body. So think about yourself rightly according to how God has placed you in the body. It's interesting that word think soberly or think sanely actually means to be sane. It is the word that's used of the Gadarene demoniac after Jesus delivers him and he was seated there clothed and in his right mind. It's the same word. Sometimes all of the exaltation of people in God's sight must seem insane. I know at least five people within the last two years that have received words that they're apostles. I, I kind of would side with what Rick Joyner said. I heard him say maybe 10 years ago, whatever. If you go to any large convention and throw a rock out into the audience, you've got a good chance of hitting an apostle. <laughs> and, and that's kind of true. And, and what is the reason? is that because we think it's not a kingdom way to think that I want to be great in the eyes of people. It's a natural way that we think, and so we project that on God, that of course if God loves me, He wants me to be great. But actually, the calling of the kingdom is different than that. It's to go low, right? The, the atmosphere, the air of the kingdom 
I submit to you is humility and saying, Jesus, you're the exalted one. How low can I go so that you can be exalted to the maximum level? That's the kingdom mentality. And so in charismatic circles, we're a little crazy. Think like a sane person for crying out loud. I know this is awkward. I just need to start out here, okay? Because this is really important. Here's the principle in the kingdom. Jesus says over and over again in his parables, at the time when he comes back and settles up a state, he's given them money to trade with, right? The talents, the minas. He comes back and, and he says, what, what have you gained for me? And if they were faithful, Luke 16, here's the principle of the kingdom that we have to get. If we're faithful with the little things, then he will make us ruler over much. That's how it works. So I'm urging us this morning, okay, as we get into the scripture here, I want to urge us as kingdom people to think sanely and to realize, okay, what grace is on my life? We're not talking about false humility of I'm nothing, I'm a worm, I'm a, you know, dirt bag. Not, not, we're not talking about that. What really is the grace on your life? This is what you have to find out. So you have a measure of faith that can run the grace that God has given your life. So if you're called to be a prophet, and there are people called to be prophets, then there's faith in your heart to be able to operate that gift of prophecy. If you're called to be a teacher, same thing. If you're called to be an evangelist, same thing. But if you're not called and you don't have that grace, you don't have the faith from God to run that thing. It's like a two-year-old getting out in the car. He's got the keys, but he can't drive it. He's dangerous. And people that get out there trying to drive ministries that they don't have the faith for and the grace for cause damage and havoc. So can we be honest as charismatics? I love the charismatic church. I will always be a part of it until the day I take my last breath because I want the moving of the Holy Spirit. We can't do without that. You go, but yeah, but there's so much mess. I know there's people that jump ship from charismatic uh, movement because there's so much mess, but I would have to say after raising seven children, we have changed an awful lot of diapers. And I can tell you story after story. Do you want to hear one? <laughs> ah, they just come to mind so readily. So our son Landon, who's now a missionary in the UK, um, ministering to Muslims, got his master's degree in Muslim studies. He's a little fella, and he held us hostage in our house. He would, when he, did, he would go to bed at night, he did not want to go. And he would cry, and he had this ability to cry so hard that he could make himself vomit. And so we'd be rocking him and try to get him to sleep, and he'd get himself worked up in this, and he would throw up all over himself, all over the crib, all over the floor. And so this was night after night, and so we had a hard time. We had to rock him with his bottle until he would go to sleep. And we traded off because I'd be exhausted after working outside all day. Diane was exhausted having three kids at that time. And so we're like, it's your turn tonight, baby. <laughs> so one night it was my turn. I've been out working in the hot sun, a landscaper. Had a headache. I'm in there taking my turn in the rocking chair. And I've got, he's on my shoulder here, and he's crying. He don't want to go to bed. And I'm rocking him, and I'm dozing out myself as I'm rocking him. How many parents can say amen? <laughs> and so I'm rocking him, and he, he's, he's crying. And, and I think that I get him quieted down, and he's quiet, and I'm starting to get happy. It literally took an hour. And so 
I get real carefully, pick him up, lay him in the crib as soon as he touches the crib. He's holding me hostage now because he's pointing at me that gun that I'm going to vomit all over this place. <laughs> and so I pick him up again. It's okay. It's okay. And I, I get him back in the rocking chair, and I'm rocking him again. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, please help. And he's, he worked himself up a lot. He's, you know how they do when they go. <laughs> he's doing that. And so he's, he's doing that, and he chokes on his spittle. And he vomits right down my neck. It runs right down my neck all the way down to my butt where I'm sitting in the chair. It's all over my clothes. It's inside my shirt. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. What just happened? So I pick him up. I take him into the bathroom. I start the bath. I get him undressed, get his clothes off of him. Take my shirt off. I'm standing there. And he's standing there. I'm holding his little hand so he won't fall. And I turn the water on to get water going in the tub, and then I feel this warm liquid on my leg. The water triggered him to pee, and he, pee, he pees straight on my leg. I said, Lord, this must really be funny to you. Right now, it's really hard for me to get into it, but uh, these are the things that happen. But are they worth it? Yes. Are the messes in the charismatic circle worth it? Yes. Because there's life that comes out of it. Wherever you have life, you're going to have maintenance. Who knows that? And so your kids are a good example, and in the church, it's the same thing. It's okay. I don't get all uptight when there's craziness and insanity that happens in the charismatic circle because I know there's life there. And if somebody's teachable, we can say, hey, let's have a talk. Can we get together? And let's just talk about this and see what the best way might be to build up the body. But we're called, and I'm calling every one of us out, including myself. This day, there's a calling for us. We're talking about building a mindset for community that houses and is a home and is a temple for the presence of Jesus. We are all called to this ministry. And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at this, a few passages of Scripture here, and then we're going to let you loose at the fair out there in the lobby. But Hebrews chapter 10, so powerful. I want to talk about everyone's calling in this room. And, and here's where I'm going with this. You might be called to be an apostle. You might be called to be a master prophet or whatever names they make up these days. But here's the point. If you aren't faithful in the thing that God's already given you, you'll never get there. And if we're not faithful in the thing that God has already given us to do, why would He promote us? Come on. That's that's an awkward question, but needed. So the background of the book of Hebrews is this. Most of you probably know this. They're suffering a lot. They profess the name of Christ, came out of Judaism. They're being persecuted. The writer of Hebrews says that you've suffered the loss of your houses and lands. You've gone to prison. And it's hard. The persecution is really difficult. And they're thinking about turning back. 
And the writer of Hebrews is going, no, you can't do that. You can't turn back. There is no cost that's too great that isn't massively overshadowed by the greatness of who Jesus is in the new covenant. You can't turn back and you can't go back. And so he's encouraging them. He's also warning them, but he's encouraging them in Hebrews chapter 10. I want to just read verses 22 to 25, and I want to show you a few things here about how we help each other in community and what our ministry calling is, every one of us. So verse 22, we know this one. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So notice the three let us. These are the commands. These are the the things that he's urging upon them. Let us do what? Let us draw near. So what is this talking about? If you're suffering and you're in dire straits, you're losing by appearances everything, what do you do? The first thing you do is to what? You, you go to God. You go to the throne of grace because there you can receive what you need, the supply that you need. Let us draw near. That's always first. That's always key in importance. But is that enough? Is it enough? Verse 23. Let us, here's the second let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What is the second let us? Don't give up. Don't quit. God is faithful. He'll see you through this. Don't quit. Don't give up. You've got to have a little perseverance. We need an injection of this in the American church, in the Western church. We're really soft. I learned how soft we are when I started in a landscape business. I was raised pretty soft. I thought I was pretty good at perseverance, and I realized, no, not really at all. But we're, spiritually, we're kind of soft from pressing through hard things. We want to get prayer for God to bypass those things when actually he's used most, most of those things. He's ordained for us so that we'll grow stronger. And so we're supposed to what? Count it all? Okay. Survey. When is, can you remember the last time when you were going through a really hard time that made you cry and you started to rejoice? Anybody? Can you remember that? Okay. Praise God. I saw two hands. I didn't have mine up either. I've done it, but I can't remember when it was. Why? Because what's being produced in you is eternal and it's worth it. So hold on. Don't give up. So the third let us is in verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate, provoke one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I call this horizontal grace. This is the ministry of encouragement. We need this. Every person in this room is called to the ministry of encouragement. I'm telling you, every person. This is our calling. You might be apostle so-and-so. We might come to hear you at your convention. I've had prophecies too that I would stand before the thousands and whatever, whatever, take a number. 
I'll put that with being caught up in the third heaven. Okay, over here, Lord, whatever you want. I'm not mocking it. I'm just saying whatever. But, but the issue is, what do I know already that I'm supposed to be doing? Am I doing that thing? We are commanded more than once. We're going to look at a few others in here in the Scripture to be an encouraging people to each other. Do you know you might be the key? I'm saying in this passage, what's the number one thing we're supposed to do? Let us, let us draw near. Number two, let us hold fast our confession. Don't give up. And number three, let us consider one another. Do you know what the word consider there means? It means to study. It means to observe. It means to get in and dig in and find out what the deal is. We're commanded to study each other. What's going on in Jad's life? What is going on in his life? What's going on in his 58 businesses? <laughs> There's got to be a lot of headaches in that. I know. I just had one. We study one another. We consider one another so that we can rightly encourage one another. Because here's the deal. In this passage, it makes it clear. If you're suffering, going through a hard time, how many people have suffered and had a hard time this year? Okay, the rest of you probably lying. <laughs> we all go through this. Do we not cycle through difficult things? So here's where grace comes from. It comes from the throne room, absolutely. It comes from encouraging ourselves that God is faithful and he's not going to give up, but it comes from another source. It's called horizontal grace. It comes from the one next to you who has grace from God that they've received, and in the, your time of trouble, they can come to you just like you can to them and speak words of encouragement, build them up, lift them up, strengthen them. That's horizontal grace. That's grace from God that's coming. And if we take that out of the equation, we've taken one-third of the grace out of the situation. We're talking about building a community here that thinks. Paul's all about us thinking like people who are in covenant community. He wants us to think a certain way. How should we think? We should consider. Let me read that out of the Amplified, verse 24. Amplified Bible says, let us consider and give attentive, continuous care to watching over one another, studying how we may stir up, stimulate, and incite to love and helpful deeds and noble activities. We study, we give attentive and continuous care to watching over one another, studying how we may stir up. So here's the deal. We cannot live without the help of our brothers and sisters. God has so constituted the body that you cannot be a hermit and survive in the kingdom. You can't thrive as a hermit. You can't thrive as one who's only in the prayer room. I love that. I love that. I said I love that. But you can't survive on that alone. Without the relationships of the body, you can't get the grace that God wants to give you. Because he is apportioned it to come through a certain vessel. You go, well, I don't mean I'm going to get it all in the throne room. No, you're not. He said you won't. You have to get some of the grace that you need for your life through your brothers and sisters in the body. That's how God has ordained it. He's made us interdependent on one another. Oh, I'm just going to do my own thing with Jesus. You're not. If you think you're smarter than God, go back to Romans 12.3. You're not. Listen to this quote by Andrew Murray. Who knows who Andrew Murray is? 
Whatever Andrew Murray says about prayer and relationship with the Lord, I listen. I have all of his books that I know that has ever been printed. I have a shelf in my library that's this long. It's all Andrew Murray. I have a great respect for him. Here's what he said in the holiest of all, which is his commentary in the book of Hebrews. Let us beware. Listen to this. So good. Let us beware of the self-deception that thinks it is possible to enter the holiest into the nearest fellowship with God in the spirit of selfishness. It cannot be. The new and living way Jesus opened up is the way of self-sacrificing love. The entrance into the holiest is given to us as priests, there to be filled with the Spirit and the love of Christ and to go out and bring God's blessing to others. Our entering into the holiest is mere imagination if we do not yield ourselves to the love of God in Christ to be filled and used for the welfare and the joy of our fellow believers. Our entering into the holiest is mere imagination if we do not yield ourselves to the love of God in Christ to be filled and used for the welfare and joy of our fellow men. How many like that quote? (laughs) So good. If you want to get under conviction, read Andrew Murray's book on humility at least once a year. It will help to put you in your proper place and let you know how stinking self-centered you really are. Um, Really good stuff. It's medicine to our soul. So, let us stimulate. Let us consider. Do Do you know how important this is? I met a brother that I've developed a relationship with, a friendship with over years. And about 10 years ago or so, he had a situation. He doesn't live in the state now, but then he did. And I had met him. He had a situation where he had just, he had married his wife. He'd had a marriage that, that went crazy before. And his wife basically left him. He had gotten remarried after a period of time, and the new wife that he had moved down here after being down here for three months. He came back one day. She left him a note and said, I don't love you. I'm not going to stay married to you. I'm moving out of state. He, he was more than devastated. That ripped open that raw wound that he already had. He was devastated. He told me later, I did not know this then, that he was contemplating going out in his garage, putting a hose on his exhaust pipe, shutting the door, and killing himself. Despair can do crazy things even to believers. When I heard about that, I'm not, I'm not putting my, I'm just, I'm giving you an illustration, you understand? I'm, I'm no anything, superstar. But when I saw that, and I heard what happened there, the Spirit of the Lord absolutely spoke inside of me and said, he's not going to walk through this alone. And I knew, okay, he's not going to walk through this alone. I knew financially he was in trouble. I went to the bank. I felt like the Lord told me to give him $3,000. I went to the bank, and I got $3,000. I put it in an envelope. I went home, and I prayed over it, and I wrote down Scripture. I felt like God gave me a Scripture for him out of 1 Peter chapter 5, where it says, after you've suffered for a little while, the God himself will come and establish and build you up and root you again. He's going to rebuild your life and reestablish. And I wrote that on a card 
And I gave him that money, and he called me weeping. He said, you don't know. I have super high blood pressure. I didn't have money to buy my blood pressure meds. I was cutting them in half already every day. We don't have any furniture in our house. Sleeping on the floor. You, you know, I saw him last year. And he came up to me. And he said, how are you doing? I said, man, I'm doing good. How are you? He said, I'm doing so well. He goes, bro, I just have to tell you. He goes, when you did that during that time of crisis in my life, it completely rocked my world. It spoke to me as if heaven itself spoke and said, God cares about you. He's real. He's in your situation. He's going to help you. He said, I tell everybody about that. This is 10 years later. I tell everybody about that, that God is faithful, whatever your situation. They're, those opportunities are there for us constantly if we would look and study and go, you know what? My calling in the body is to be an encourager. Can, can I tell you something? I just want to put this out there. This is so important. I know for some people, they're, they're just, they have a, a, a death grip on their money. But, but can I just encourage you to let that go? I know you can't reason yourself out of it, but there is such joy. That was the best money I ever invested. This man's son was a teenager then. He said to me, you don't know what that meant to my dad and me. He goes, I hope that I can one day. I'm praying that God will help me to have means and finances to be able to bless other people that way. There's a contagion that spreads. It's way better than COVID. <laughs> it's called kingdom virus. Let's spread it. Let's let go of your money. Can I just encourage you? I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want your money. I don't need it. I'm asking you for the sake of your own soul to release it and to ask the Lord to let you learn how to use your money to be an agent of the kingdom of heaven in the lives of people. You don't need to get applause. There's lots of times where... I've given money. No, no real response except thank you. That's, it's okay. But there's people that have been marked. When you hear of a situation, when you see a situation, our default should be God. I'm the encourager here. What kind of horizontal grace should be coming out of me towards this brother or sister in this situation? A lot of times I can tell you it's money. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me that. If you, 1 John 3, having this world's goods, meaning money, and see that your brother has need and close up your heart of compassion against him, how does the love of God dwell in you? That's the question, 1 John 3, 17. Little children, 
This is verse 18. Let us not love with word and with tongue. Oh, bless you, brother. I just love you. Praying for you. Lady. Are you, like, are you cynical like me and you, when people tell you that, are you, you actually doubt that they ever pray for you? Okay, that's awkward number two. <laughs> Let us not love with word and with tongue, but in deed and in truth. What's he talking about, in deed and in truth? Get this out. Write that check. This is how the kingdom spreads. Do, do you know the miracle that happened on the day of Pentecost? Yeah, brother, they all spoke with tongues and the power started to fall and the apostles did great and mighty miracles. The first thing that happened is that they all began of their own accord. This wasn't communism. Of their own accord because of the Spirit of God within them. They had the kingdom virus and the kingdom culture inside of them was compelling them to give out horizontal grace. So they started selling their property, taking the money. Here, use it for anybody that needs it. Dude, that's a bigger miracle than the Red Sea. When nobody counts anything they have as being their own, that is a bigger miracle than the Red Sea or any healing you have ever seen. Because that's a radical transformation of heart that once goes, ah, this is my security, I'll never let it go. They'll find another way. And God said, no, when you get infected with my virus, you're joyful to give. It's His grace. Do you know the two chapters in the Bible? I'm on a rabbit trail now. But this is how I live, okay? I'm on a rabbit trail. The two chapters in the Bible that have the most references to the word grace, the Greek word charis, in all of the New Testament are 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. What are those chapters about? Paul says, I wanted to tell you, brothers, about the grace of God that was revealed in the churches in Macedonia. And you're thinking, oh, God, what happened? The churches in Macedonia must have won the lotto. They got blessed so much. And he proceeds to explain what the grace of God was that happened in the churches of Macedonia. These people, he said, we didn't even tell them about the offering we were taking up for Jerusalem and Judea with the famine because they were in worse shape than Judea and Jerusalem. They're so poor. He said they were scraping the bottom of the bucket. The Greek term that's used there is that they were below the bottom of the bucket. They're scraping the bottom. They've got nothing. They're destitute. And they came to Paul and said, You didn't ask us about the offering in Jerusalem and Judea? He's like, Well, yeah, you guys are already scraping the bottom of the bucket. You don't even have what you need to eat. They're like, no, you don't understand. The kingdom of God inside of us is compelling us to give to our brothers and sisters in need. And so out of their own desperate poverty, Paul says, there was an abundance of joy. How do those things go together? Desperate poverty, abundance of joy, overflow of liberality. Paul put those three things right together back to back. Don't matter how much you have. I'm telling you, if you want to be free in Jesus, we're not taking an offering now. I don't want your money. I don't want a Pentecostal handshake from you. I'm trying to tell you for your own soul. If you don't turn loose of your money in the kingdom way, you will not only be stifling yourself, but you'll be stifling the flow of the Holy Spirit because there's always an outflow in the kingdom. There's always an outflow in the kingdom. 
And just like with your septic tank, if there stops being an outflow and it starts backing up, it starts to stink. How many like this preaching? This is one of the reasons that I know that a lot of these prophecies I got over the years will never happen because this is the way that I am. So, <laughs> John Dawson is the international director of YWAM. Who knows YWAM? Thousands and thousands of employees all over the world, youth with a mission, started by Lauren Cunningham years ago. John Dawson, since 2003, has been the international director. I heard John say several of the things that John has said over the years have marked me. But John made this statement. He said, 90% of discipleship is actually encouragement. I thought, wow, that's a pretty extreme number, 90%. I'm thinking maybe 50, maybe. That's what he said. I respect him. His whole life and ministry has been making disciples. So, is there the need to inject truth into the mix? Yes. Ephesians 4. 15 says that we are to grow up into all aspects in Jesus by speaking the truth in love, right? Speaking the truth. So truth can't be out of the mix. We are kingdom people, and it's a culture of truth. But nevertheless, so much of what people need, so much of what your brothers and sisters need who are sitting next to you right now in this community is for you to say, hey, I love you. Look in my eye. I love you. What can I do to help you? What can I do to help you right now? What can I pray for for you right now? How are you doing financially? Are your bills okay? What's going on in your life? This is how the kingdom works. If, if, if We have to blow up the spectator mentality. We have to blow it up. You, we can't even leave any of the shreds of it. It's completely antithetical to the kingdom. We're all members that carry grace. You guys carry grace that I need. Went through a really hard time last year, emotionally. Struggled with depression. Never have had a depression in my life. I need your grace. A lot of you reached out, gave that grace, helped me through. I feel, I feel good now. I'm thankful. But my eye is on you. How can I be a blessing? How can I find out? And, and can I tell you something? Like if you're part of a community, we need you to tell us what's happening in your life. You know, th th this is good advice. If you're, if you're not married yet and you're going to get married, or if you're just newly married, th this is the thing that you're going to find out. This is what I told my wife early on in our marriage because there was things that she assumed that I knew, but I was totally oblivious because I'm a man. <laughs> How many guys know what I'm talking about? She's thinking, what are you doing sitting there? I'm trying to get this ready to go, and you're sitting there playing your guitar like the whole world is a Hawaiian vacation. <laughs> and I, I hear the pans crack, you know, going in the sink. Like, you know, you can tell there's a, there's a little bit of aggression behind that, that washing of the dish. <laughs> and I'm not trying to excuse myself for being dense. I am a guy, though. 
But we had this conversation. I said, baby, please just tell me what you want me to do. I'll do anything. But my mind reader's broke. Like, here again is how we know that I'm not called to be a prophet. Okay? <laughs> mind reader's broke. I don't have that intuitive sensitivity to everything. And so, please, please understand, in this body, we want to help and to reach out. And your brothers and sisters have some grace to offer you. But if you sit there and you stew and you don't tell anybody what's happening in your life, really it's partially on you because our mind reader's broke. Just assume that our mind reader, assume that as elders our mind reader's broke. Just assume that. But if you tell us what you need, we will go to whatever length we need to to help you. And the same thing is true in the body. We have to get to the place where we can honestly own and say, look, I'm struggling. Can, can, can you help me? That's how you're going to get help. There's all these reservoirs sitting next to you now of horizontal grace. You need to avail yourself to those. And you need to be one of those. We cannot get all the grace we need directly from God alone. It's kind of a shocking statement to some probably. All right. Hebrews chapter 3. Flip back a few pages. We're going to look at just a couple other scriptures here. Then we're going to let you go. Hebrews 3, I want to read just two verses here, verses 12 and 13. And I want you to feel the weight of our responsibility to each other. Hebrews 12, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you. Can you see that this is a corporate issue? People falling away from God is a corporate issue. People struggling in their faith is a corporate issue. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But, verse 13, encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see the corporate responsibility there? Don't let it happen in your midst. Well, how are we going to do that? We've got to keep our eyes open. We've got to consider, and we need you, if you're struggling, to tell us, I'm struggling. Please help me. There's no shame in that. It's just crazy to sit there and be languishing in your spiritual life and not tell people, because I can tell you I know a lot of the people in this room, and they will crawl all over broken glass to help you. They will. They'll sacrifice for you. They'll be there for you. But don't think that our mind reader works. It doesn't. Just throw that out right now. Just go, I know their mind. I know they're dense. I know they don't get it. I know they're not intuitive. They don't feel. They're not sensitive to whatever. So just tell us. Okay, words work a lot better than um, assumption always. All right. Ministry of encouragement. We're responsible. Notice today, he says, in verse 13, today, as long as it's still called today, this is urgent. As long as it's still called today, that's now. Look, it's now. We've got to look out. We've got to be encouragers for those in our body now. You can't wait until they crash and burn. You've got to go after it now. We have to see it now. We have to move now. This is urgent. 
I love this prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah 42, verse 3. So beautiful. I've leaned on this so many times in my life. It says of the Messiah when he comes, he will not crush a broken reed, and he will not extinguish a smoldering piece of flax. If you're broken reed and you're just smoking, barely still alive, this is good news for you. He doesn't step on you, crush you. But you know how you get ignited most of the time? It's because people like us in this room who have the kingdom virus come up and start blowing on you. You've got a little spark. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. The Lord's going to help you. Come on. We're going to pray for you right now. Come on. No, don't isolate yourself. No, don't pull yourself away from the community. We're going to help you. We're going to inject in you. Read this scripture. I had a brother recently. He's going through a hard time. I said, bro, every day. I said, you have to make a step toward Jesus. He said, well, how do I do that? I said, well, you tell me the word for the day that God is telling you to focus on. Focus on one thing that you need to do that can help you move close to God. So he would text me that one thing every day, and I would text him back a scripture verse. Read this verse. Read this verse. Read this verse. Read this verse. He'd send me another text. Read this verse. Read this verse. Come on, let's get filled with the Word of God. We can give grace to those around us and help them. Blow on them. Jesus, I think, gets grieved when his people go, oh, man, look at them. They fell away. They're cold. Their hearts hardened to the Lord. He's like, the voice from heaven comes, blow on them. Blow on them. Come on, blow on them. People of God, blow. Cause that spark to come back to life. This is our calling. Apostles in the room, master prophets. This is your first calling. This is your first calling as a believer in the body and the community. And Jesus said, those who are faithful in little things. You were faithful in blowing, my son. Now I'm going to give you your inheritance. Really? Blowing? It's the principle of the kingdom. Can I tell you, Jesus said that most of the kingdom and its power is unseen now. It will all be revealed later. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It's all mixed in until the whole lump gets infected with the kingdom virus. You may not see the results instantly. You may not see them every time. But something's happening when the kingdom gets sown. All right. What encouragement looks like? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 we're going to land the plane here, 1 Thessalonians 2. I want to show you what, what, is, what is kingdom encouragement? What does it look like? Out of this passage, Paul writing to the Thessalonians is perfect. In chapter 2, he gives five characteristics of what biblical encouragement looks like or what it doesn't look like. I'll start reading at verse 3, and I'm going to work my way through this. For our exhortation, you there? First Thessalonians 
2, verse 3, For our exhortation does not come from the error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Verse 5, notice this is the first point here, verse 5 and 6. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. So what is the first point? Kingdom encouragement is not flattery. It's not flattery or manipulation. Sometimes we put out flattery because we want to get it back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? My kids call it fishing. You're so awesome. Oh, you're awesome too. No, you're more awesome. No, you're doubly awesome. No, you're... It can be manipulative. He goes, when we came to you, we didn't flatter you. I actually read a, a newspaper article recently. I don't know how I came across it, but talking about a church service, and they were talking about the service, and this newspaper reporter actually said this about the church service. The pastor was talking about sending out missionaries, but the feel in the building was that it was a society for promoting each other's um, egos. <laughs> like, what a witness. No, flattery is devoid of the truth, and it's, it's, or it's, it's an exaggeration. It's for manipulation somehow. Kingdom encouragement is not flattery. It's not telling somebody, you're the most dedicated, godly person I've ever seen or heard of. Probably not. You're the most anointed. Probably not. You're the most. Probably not. How about just being genuine going, I love the way you worship Jesus. It shows his value that he's your treasure. That's beautiful. Thank you. It's not flattering. I get amused every year around graduation time because graduation speeches are some of the most lying things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and so one of the best ones that I've ever uh, heard of was a f several years ago at Sanford University. I want to read you just an excerpt from it that is so good and applicable to the kingdom. Are you okay with that? Here's what he said. He titled his speech, In Praise of Normal. Because everything about graduation is, you're going to change the world. You're going to go out and dream your dreams and don't let anybody get in your way. And you're going to, you know the spiel. Today, here's what he said. Today, you should feel no pressure to achieve the outlandish or to live up to the nearly impossible expectations that you may have for yourselves or perceive from those around you. The problem with idolizing greatness is that one day you wake up in your 40s and your life looks relatively ordinary and you think you've failed. There's no reason to make that mistake. As a theologian, I would argue that the meaning of life consists not in what you accomplish, but in what God through Christ has already accomplished. This frees you to live with simple gratitude, to be faithful in small things, to be kind when no one is watching, to be honest when it profits you nothing, and to be hardworking when nobody thanks you. 
The truth is that most of you are going to be relatively normal. I mean that statistically, most of you are not going to become exceptionally wealthy or famous or powerful or apostles or prophets or master prophets. My, that's, that's my own insertion. Most of you won't make a revolutionary discovery or find a cure for a notorious disease or write a best-selling novel or become the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and that's okay. In fact, it's, just, it's not just okay, it's good. Because what the world needs is not a few more celebrities trying to fix what is broken while posing for photos. What the world needs is a few billion normal people committed to making the world a better place. A few billion normal people willing to pray, Thy kingdom come and Thy will be done on earth. A few billion normal people willing to live like Jesus. A few billion normal people who love their families and their neighbors and do their jobs well day after day after ordinary day. And the sum total of all that normal would indeed be exceptional. What if we had a community where normal was, I carry a supply of grace to give to my brothers and sisters. Normal is, how much do you need? Normal was, can we get together? Can I pray for you? Tell me how I can help and be a blessing to you. Would that change the world? Would you probably get a lot of notoriety for that? I think what God's after, more than awesome, you know, God already has a lot of awesome himself. He really not very impressed with our, our awesome. Like, I'm mean, just, say, just saying relatively, I mean, not, not that you're not totally awesome. Not, not, not that we don't do injustice to the English language by exaggerating everything that we say that is totally like, are you, are you talking about ice cream? No. It's totally like, it's, you can't believe it blows your mind like ice cream? Just saying. We live in an over-the-top, exaggerated culture. Here's what Jesus is looking for. Do you notice that Jesus never used those kind of over-the-top kind of descriptions for his servants? Even the ones who were the best, even the ones who were the most dedicated, what did he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I told you to do. What if we did this? What if we took this as a mandate from God? What if this was more exciting to us than somebody calling us out into an aisle and telling us what kind of destiny we were going to have in ministry or kingdom? Not, not, please hear my heart. I'm not mocking that as being illegitimate. I'm just saying, what if we decided that we were going to be faithful in the little thing that God has already clearly told us to do. Do you think the cumulative effect of that 
in this culture and in this body could change the world. I believe it could because it would change eternity. I love you guys. I am honored. This is real. So honored to be part of this community. These are some of the most beautiful people that I've ever met. They're here. Here you go, flattering. No, I'm not. I'm telling you the truth. This is really real. This is how I talk in private. This is how we talk as elders when we're talking about you guys. The people that God has sent here, it's amazing. We're honored to be part. Let's continue. Will you join with me to purpose in your heart that we're going to continue to build this culture that God wants and to be the supply of horizontal grace for those next to us, for those in need? And will you commit, dear one, when you're going through a hard time, to tell somebody, to tell us, email to admin at hotfmlakeland.com, text me. We want to know because we can't give out the supply if we don't know that you need it. Let's be this community. Let's be this community. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the amazing beauty of your kingdom, how you've designed it, how you made it so that we have to be dependent not just on you but on each other. So wise you are because you knew we would never enter into real depth of relationship and community if we weren't needy. So you're so wise. Thank you for that. God, I pray that you would help us to get this. I do pray that you would mark our hearts with this message, that we would become encouragers who carry the life of the kingdom and that we would be carriers of your grace and that our body would not lack because of that but would be built up and that you would be glorified and that this would be a place where you would want to come and make your habitation. In Jesus' name.